Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. As always, I'm your host, Chad Michael Boughton. Thank you guys so much for clicking on a brand new episode of the Unsighted Radio. Hopefully it's a good day or a good afternoon or even a good evening. But wherever you are, I hope everybody's doing well and are feeling fine. If you know anybody that would like to listen to this podcast, please do let people know we are on Amazon Music, Audible, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. It is the Unsighted Radio. However, when you go looking for it, make sure you search U-N-S-Y as in Yankee, T-E-D, the Unsighted Radio. Make sure to spell Unsighted, U-N-S-Y as in Yankee, T-E-D. Otherwise, you won't find it. Well, guys, we are going to have a great episode here today. Super excited to talk to my guests. Um, obviously, if you know anything about me, you know that I love video games. And I have been playing video games since I was a five-year-old little boy back in the 90s, booting up my Game Boy Color with Pokemon Red. But obviously, I had my Nintendo 64. Didn't have a lot of games back in the day because we didn't have a lot of money at that point in time. But I had three games I had Pokemon Stadium, which came with the bundle I got for the Nintendo 64. I had Paper Mario, and I had Banjo-Kazooie. And Banjo-Kazooie is a big one because today we're talking to someone that actually works for the company that made that good old game that everybody loves to this day. They are a software engineer at Rare Limited, the great and powerful Topher Winward. <laughs> hello hello and thank you for having me on the show i'm not so sure about great but i will take powerful um <laughs> yeah no um it's lovely to be here it's, it's always nice hearing people talk about like classic n64 games like pokemon stadium i loved interestingly i never actually had banjo kazooie i had banjo tooie so yeah yeah <laughs> yeah uh those two games are very near dear in my heart. Um, funny enough, I did have Banjo Tooie before Banjo Kazooie uh, myself, but I got Banjo Kazooie, and obviously those two games were absolutely, you know, just I spent so much time because back in you know those days when you were a young gamer, you didn't have the money to buy your own games, so you really had to wait on your mom and dad to get it for you. Mm -hmm. So they get you a game and they would just hope, okay, hopefully they can play this for like a year or two before we get them the it's next better one. better be the one. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, lucky enough, Banjo and Banjo-Chewie, they had plenty of content to keep me, you know, just dedicated to playing those games over and over until I got the new ones. And obviously, Rare is such an iconic, you know, game studio to, to this day. I mean, Conker's Bad for a Day, the Donkey Kong Country series. Mm. Uh, I always forget that Battletoads was done by Rare. Oh, it's just, yeah. It's yeah, always yeah. one of those ones that slipped my mind, but Battletoads, Jet Force, Gemini. Uh, of course, we got GoldenEye 007, Killer Instinct, Perfect Dark. I mean, just iconic games in a catalog of of just, just iconicness. I mean, it's just... So Which amazing! Seem fair. I know it doesn't. <laughs> One and company, then, all those, yeah, yeah, all those, <laughs> and then now 
Sea of Thieves as well, which is a lovely game. And we are definitely going to spend a lot of time talking about because mm. obviously you have spent a lot of time working on Sea of Thieves yourself. Yep, yep. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about yourself. Tell me, who is Topher Winward? Who is Topher Winward? Um, so I might start with a quick visual description myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a white male. I'm about 29 years old. I'm currently wearing a white shirt, a rainbow pride wristband. Mm. Um, is it cheating in a visual description to t- t- uh, tell your audience how handsome I am? Or is that? No, go ahead, <laughs> I do it. I I do it too. (laughs) (laughs) Extremely Uh, dashing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, all all the right things, just like rock hard jawline, you know, just whatever (laughs) you can imagine. I'm that whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a software engineer at rare. Um, I've, I've been there for about eight years now. So yeah. Yeah. So I've been on several projects in that time, started off as an intern back in 2014 uh, and that was when we were sort of figuring out how do, what do we want our next big game after the Connect Sports series to be? Mm-hmm. Um, and Sea of Thieves was very much in its infancy. Uh, there was a lot of doing work in Unity on the prototype, which I don't know if you've seen much of that, where like all of the characters are these are these tic tac shapes, and it doesn't matter what the game looks like. It's the how do you find the fun. Mm-hmm. in it um but yeah my, my first major project there was rare replay and wow. interestingly enough with you mentioned jet force gemini mm-hmm. that was a game i loved as a kid mm-hmm. and i had no idea it was by rare so really? you know I, I rock into the studio um start working in rare replay we're selecting what are the 30 titles that are gonna go into it and i go wait wait a second this is that game I've been looking for for the past 10 years. I had no idea what it was called. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, I mentioned Battletoads. I just always forget that Rare did that because I just, mm. I, I don't know why. It just doesn't, you know, connect to me that, oh, yeah, Battletoads was Rare as well. Um, yeah. I mean, and you want to talk about iconic games. That's iconic for all the wrong seasons. So many, yeah. Because <laughs> it's so hard it's ridiculous <laughs> you know it's definitely like it's it's like it's literally like i'm not i'm not even joking guys like if, if you look at like top 100 hardest games you'll find battle toads in the like upper well yeah. above the 50s because it is notoriously hard well we, i mean you were saying how like you, you you get a game if you can't get loads and you hope that it'll last you a long time battle toads you're gonna spend a lot of time on that especially in that turbo tunnel Sorry. Oh my god, that tunnel <laughs> is just ridiculous. We've um in, in Rare Replay, we made it so that you could play an infinite version of the turbo tunnel. And like we we looked at who could play that for the longest. Someone in our team played it for 45 minutes. And I just that's dedication that I'm not sure anyone should have for anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, you know, you talk about like that on um old school contra with the 99 lives mm. cheat code. It's just like Man, games back in the day were so notorious. They were hard. a different breed, yeah. But but they made you like that's what the whole thing is that it made you want to dedicate your time to actually beating that challenge and thinking, yep. oh, I just overcame the most hardest, and then you realize, oh no, there's still more to this game, and it gets even harder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when when how did you get interested in in gaming? I'm I'm interested to hear about your gaming experience. My gaming history, long and varied. The let's see, the first video game I can remember playing, I think, would have been 
either Chips Challenge, Jazz Jack Rabbit on MS-DOS, or it would have been Sonic the Hedgehog on the Master System. So not the Mega Drive's Sonic the Hedgehog one, but the, the 8-bit smaller version of that, uh, which which came built into the, the Master System. So if you didn't put a game in, that's what would play. And yeah, so that was very much my first set of games. I remember one day my uncle coming over to ours and just dropping off a giant box of Master System and Mega Drive games. And I, I don't know what day it was, but it was the best Christmas I ever had. So. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so I, I, I'm interested, though, did you have from a, a young age or anywhere in your early adolescence any notion of going into the industry or did this come after, you know, was it more some more sort of circumstance that, you know, you, you ended up finding your way into the industry? So both, actually. It's it's an interesting, it's a funny one. So, like, I've always been obsessed with video games. They are such an important part of my life in so many ways. And I think the earliest I realized that video game creation was a thing was back, like, with the old Command & Conquer games where they had, like, hidden map editors or I remember um, you could get hex editors for The Sims and you could mod in your own items and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was at school, when I was in secondary school, uh, Game Maker was a tool that was coming out and Macromedia Flash was big. So um, while all the other kids at school would you know, be out playing rugby and football at lunchtime, me and my band of geeky friends would be running our lunchtime games creation clubs and it was always very obvious to me that, yeah, no, I'm I'm going to go into the games industry. Then 2007, Team Fortress 2 came out oh, yeah. and I joined a wonderful community of mappers, like making levels for the game there. And that was a real, this is what I want to do. And then I met a game developer. <laughs> <laughs> Someone joined our community who had worked in the industry and it did not sound good. It sounded like an awful place to be, you know, long hours, hard work, crunch was a real thing. And that, honestly, that put me off working in games basically for good at that point. I was like, you know what? I'm still good at software development. Let's, let's move into that instead. Let's focus on that because that's a much more stable role. You know what you're going to be doing. So went through university, um, doing a computer science and artificial intelligence degree. Um, it was a sandwich course where after your second year, you apply and you go work in industry. And I applied to Microsoft because, you know, that's what you do when you're a student at uni. You apply to lots of places, including the big names. Mm-hmm. And I applied as a data analyst because I wasn't I wasn't really paying all that much attention, if I'm going to be honest, to the job description. I was like, Microsoft, we'll just, we'll just put that on there, right? <laughs> And I got a phone call a little bit later. I did I did a first interview with them and they were like, okay, so you've applied as a data analyst, but your experience looks much more like it would fit in studios. And I, I didn't ask what studios was until a few weeks later when I get another phone call and I realize I'm being interviewed simultaneously by people at Rare lift which was one of the microsoft studios and Lionhead games oh wow yeah so that that was that was unexpected and interesting i thought you know what rare childhood memories i'm gonna go for it and that's sort of how i fell back into video games as a career that's really interesting and you mentioned you, you started off as an intern 
Um, yes. And then how long into that did you eventually, you know, get the opportunity to go full time? Obviously, you're a software engineer now. So um, tell me a little bit about, you know, that process and journey and getting to the point where you are now where you've, you know, been working on CFEs for, you know, quite a while. Now. Yeah, yeah. For a long time. Yeah. So Rare has a fantastic internship program, which I will never shut up about. So I joined with a group of, it was it was a little cohort and we'd come through the Microsoft system. Uh, so there were three software engineers, a environment artist, someone in production, someone in design. And we all sort of moved around the studio. And the nice thing there was you didn't feel siloed to your team because you had a cohort of people your age across the studio to really sort of spread knowledge conversation. So I, I started off, working in Unreal, writing C++ professionally for the first time, which was terrifying and interesting and a great learning experience. Then around December time, that was when we were planning Rare Replay as a game. And I was asked if I wanted to move on to that. And yeah, so I was on that for, that was a very quick project. We started properly in January and we shipped in like August, I oh, think. Wow. Yeah, it was super quick turnaround. Um, I might be a bit off on the times there, but still quick. And the team was fantastic. Everyone was just so much fun. It was a great combination of here's a team that really cares about the people on it, but also you've got you're doing hard real work here. You're not just like a, a lot of people think an internship is just running and making coffee for whoever. No, right. at Rare, an internship is a real job where they want to push you to your limits, mm -hmm. but no further than that. Just just stretch you nicely. And yeah, I, I was supposed to finish in June, but with the game coming out in August, I, I had to stay to see that through. Uh, so I stayed a few more months, got to see the E3 announcement, which absolutely iconic. Yes. And yeah, it was at the end of that that I got offered the job to come back after my university degree. That's awesome. Uh, and you mentioned E3. Uh, you know, I guess, do, do we say oh, rest in yeah. peace now? Because it just, it <laughs> I just, I don't feel like it's going to yeah. come back. And if it doesn't, then, uh, you know, it's it's sad to know that, uh, you know, future generations of gamers won't get to know won't get how that, amazing yeah. that was. I mean, like, uh, wasn't it like wasn't Banjo uh, even announced or like shown off at like one of the super old like E3s? I mean, like it's just crazy to think like the history of E3 and just how many yeah. games uh, have had their time in the sun. I mean, I remember when Sea of Thieves was shown off at E3. I don't remember what year it was, but I been twenty fifteen. Yeah, I think. I think yeah, yeah. But yeah. I remember when it, when it came out, and I was just like, "Oh crap, mm. Rare's doing something new." Yeah, yeah. I just like you, I just love going back and watching the video of the announcement. Just of we, I think I can't remember which order if we did Rare Replay or Sea of Thieves first, but we did them back to back. And just when Conqueror appears on the screen, you can just hear the whole audience go, <laughs> and then when the logo appears for Rare, just everyone bursts into cheers and wild yelling and yeah it was that was magical being able to experience that live uh for the first time yeah truly wonderful experience i i mean it's just it is amazing to see and obviously you as a gamer but now you get to experience it on the opposite end being within the mm. actual company just seeing like literally how like those characters you used to play with as a kid like you loved them back then, but now you kind of have a whole new level of love for them because you're just seeing firsthand, like, like you mentioned when Conquer 
jumps up on the mm. on the screen. They're like, "Oh my god, it's cool!" You're just like, it just shows you just how much like Rare is really beloved by gamers. Yeah, yeah. On a on beloved characters, you talked about Battletoads earlier. Mm-hmm. At at Rare, there's quite a few statues of the of the famous characters, and one of them is a Battletoad. <laughs> and oh my god, I was walking up the stairs late at night once and I didn't realize they had this battle toad and they'd just been placed at the top of the stairs and it gave me the fright. I almost fell down the stairs in fear when I bumped into it. It was awful. Uh, yeah, um... <laughs> this huge looming frog at the top of the stairs. Ugh. Oh, toad. But... <laughs> That's hilarious. So you obviously you're a software engineer um but you do a lot on the accessibility side of yes when yeah it comes to the game, especially in sea of thieves and i'm curious how did you find yourself onto the accessibility side of gaming was there any sort of motivation for you to take that task on when it comes to accessibility and gaming so yeah, so this is one of the interesting things where like um, a lot of people who work in accessibility tend to have quite a personal connection to it. Whereas I guess I'm lucky might be the right word in the sense that actually, no, I, I don't have that personal connection. I'm lucky that I don't have family members with various disabilities or I don't have visual impairments and whatnot. Um, but the first time I think I realized it was a thing uh was 2016 2017 special effect came into the studio and they gave a talk and then they showed their video and i don't know if you've ever watched a special effect presentation they are something they are truly special they are magical they really tug at your heartstrings they they know how to get the emotions going um but like the end of this presentation to the entire studio, there was not a dry eye in the room as we realized that like there are people out there who need access to games. We make games, we can be doing things here. And I think that for me was the first real spark of possibility. But I, I didn't I didn't really jump into it much more until I think 2019, was it then? Uh, I went to a games accessibility conference in London and I remember seeing a bunch of the talks and looking at my colleague and going, there's so many obvious things that we can and should be doing here. Why are we not doing this straight away? We can be doing these things. And as an engineer, I have the ability to be able to make these changes. So why shouldn't I? I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to try these things. And it, it sort of snowballed from there. Yeah, because, you know, what what I've loved about Rare um, in the current, you know, sense of, you know, what they're doing now is just how committed they have become to accessibility features. Like with mm. Sea of Thieves, what's, what I love about Sea of Thieves is um, it, it does have accessibility features you know, on the game, but you still continue to add more. You, you continue to work on if there's something you think that you can add you look at trying to add it. And obviously you work with actual gamers who have the lived experience, you know, who have been disabled or chronically ill gaming for years and you work with them to continue adding features, which it's just amazing because you could definitely just put out the game with, okay, here's the game. Here are the accessibility features. That's it. You know, we'll see you during the next yeah. game, but you yeah. don't, you, you've, you've released it. And then now you're continuously adding new features and also, you're very transparent because your website is super good at 
having all of the listed accessibility features on it. And I just love that, especially from the sense of someone who used to play your games when I had vision before I got my diagnosis of my progressive eye condition and now yeah. have to have, um, you know, accessibility features in my game because I can't see anymore to play games. But it's just amazing to kind of see that evolution of Rare as a company. It's like, all right, they were there for me when I could just game on my own. And now they get to stay with me because they've committed themselves to accessibility and gaming. And I just, I love that from, you know, the standpoints of your business and your company. Yeah. So um, I think that there's a phrase that we use a lot internally when referring to accessibility. And that's, that's the idea that, you know, accessibility it's a journey, not a destination. So as you say, it's not just build some stuff, throw it out. Like Sea of Thieves is a game that we want to keep running for many, many years. Mm -hmm. So obviously we want as many people to be able to enjoy that as possible. And I think that's, that's one of the real advantages of working on a live service game. If there was some feature we wanted to put in, but it's going to miss a deadline, there's another deadline after that, right? There's always another release. And like we've seen this a few times where we've wanted to put in an accessibility feature. We'll aim, let's say, for June. We miss it. So we just put it out in August instead. I've enjoyed so much watching uh, Sightless Combat do his streams because he streams yeah, so yeah. much on Sea of Thieves. And, you know, it's just amazing because obviously, you know, it's 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 known that he obviously has, you know, worked on the game. He's, you know, mm. he's been transparent with, you know, it's it's pretty known that he what he does. But it's just amazing to see him play it and you know it like it helps other people that are like should i get csd to try and then you've got someone like sightless combat who's so well respected as a consultant for accessibility mm. playing the game testing out the features himself and just seeing what he can do with the game and what he has with the accessibility features um but also and i gotta shout this out because sea of thieves has such an amazing community that really welcomes disabled yeah, gamers yeah. and they really want to help you. So if you don't, maybe you can't see well, they're going to help you to at least find something that you can do. So you're a part of the game and that you're a part of the, the crew. And that's, that's what I love about Sea of Thieves. You've basically stolen what I was about to say <laughs> there. <laughs> that, yeah, like um, it's the community are so wonderful. They're such lovely people. They're so most of them are really lovely, genuine, caring people. It's um like there's a real strength, there's a real sense of community and culture in Sea of Thieves, really positive. And accessibility sort of plays into that nicely because it's not just us who want more people to play the game. The players want more people playing it too. And if we can put in more features that makes the game more playable by more people, everybody wins there, right? Yeah, the, the community, I I can't say nice enough things about them. Yeah, it was, you know, um, you know, I have an episode with Sightless coming out shortly and he talks about mm. you know, his first time playing and finding the right crew that, you know, yeah. you know, really dedicated themselves to making sure they included him when gaming. Um, and it's just a lovely thing to hear because that's that's how uh, an online gaming experience should be. You should really just have that sense, you know, not always there, but it's great that Sea of Thieves has it because yeah, yeah. as someone who's obviously going to be nervous getting into a game because they don't know if it's going to be truly mm. accessible for them, to have the community there to be like, no, we'll go the extra mile to include you and make you feel welcome because we want you to game with us. That's that's lovely to have in the game. Yeah. On that first GA conf that I went to, actually Sightless uh, had given a talk about his work in Gears of War 2, I think it was at the time. 
And that was one of those moments of, hey, he's saying things that I know I can go implement somewhere. And then seeing several years later, him giving talks about how he plays Sea of Thieves based on the work we've done, based on what he'd said earlier, was was amazing. Um, so yeah, there's a really nice sort of cycle there of uh, feedback back and forth. So honestly, uh, I feel like we can do three episodes if I ask you to say everything about accessibility and Thea's Thieves. Yep. But yep. we'll try our best to condense it and go through it while we have you here because I really sure, want to yep. talk to, to you about <laughs> the accessibility in the game and obviously your role. Um mm -hmm. and just you know, you know, what you can say and just you know how it all starts. Yeah, sure. Because it's 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 very impressive what the game has to offer for accessibility features. So yeah, I think something that doesn't get talked about a lot but I think is actually one of Sea of Thieves' biggest accessibility wins is the controls, is the single stick support and whatnot. I think it doesn't get talked about so much because that's one of those things we sort of, we did it early on, and at the time we didn't shout about it, whereas we talk a lot more openly these days. So it never really got the, never really had a light shone on it. But yeah, it's we've had wonderful feedback from uh, charities like Special Effect who say that because of the the single stick work and the the holds and the toggles stuff that goes in, uh, there's a lot of customizability on the controllers. They say that's really helpful for you know the the people that they're trying to serve who mm -hmm. uh, may have motor issues and whatnot. Having so much control over the controls makes a huge difference. But it's it's very much a it's not behind the scenes. It's just not talked about so much. Yeah. I, I myself really am a fan of simplified controls, especially when it comes to mm. button presses and holds. Because if it's something that I can have done for me, like auto, like it's like you have a button hold that does like, you know, aiming for you or steering mm. or a, 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 an aspect of combat or travel, that's one less thing that I have to worry about with, with my poor vision. So I myself love you know, simplify controls. And, you know, it's just one of those things where I think um, as a disabled gamer, um, there's so many options that aren't even in your category of accessibility that you should really take a time looking at because you'd be surprised mm. what you like and what can add to your experience of gaming. Definitely. And that's, um, that's, that kind of touches on the point of um, like an accessibility menu within a game. I know it's a thing that's talked about a lot. And it's it's difficult to know if you do have a menu that's just titled accessibility, what goes in there? Because for so many people, one setting, they may not even consider it accessibility, like inverting the mouse, for example. But um, for other people, it's an absolutely vital thing to let them play the game. And yeah, there's, there's really that's the idea that if you, you just add in one extra bit of customizability, that can help so many people in ways you had never considered. Yeah, then obviously something that I, I love about Sea of Thieves is the sound design and the audio. Because mm. for me, oh. I am just a geek when it comes to good audio design and sound cues. Yeah. And I've been that way since, you know, you know, I, I gotta bring back my own, you know, my old school Pokemon. You know, if you play those old school Pokemon games and really take your time to listen to the sound mm. design and the audio, you'll realize there's so many cues and so many changes in the noises, animations. 
you can really know, okay, I am now on route one versus I am in Palace. Sure. I'm in yeah, a Pokemon yeah. Mart versus a Pokemon Center. This is a yep. Charizard versus a Blastoise. That to me is such a overlooked accessibility feature, in my opinion, because I think so many people as just regular gamers just think, oh, it's just audio and and, and the music. sound. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just sound. Yeah. But when you really take a time to like really critique it, it's so helpful for gamers that can't mm, see. Yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah, like I, I cannot say enough good things about our audio team, how much they really care about the like just the the little experience of is the ship making the right level of creaking? Does the gun make the right noise? It's, yeah, it's, it's so much detail goes in there. And that in turn, as you say, it's just good sound design. And that ends up being wonderful for people with uh, with lower vision to be able to engage fully with the game because... You know, if the game is still, there's a large experience still there for them to engage with. I know recently we added, uh, we added sea rock sounds, and there was quite a lot of um, back and forth uh, internally as to what was the best way to do this, uh, because adding the sounds of waves crashing over sea rocks that could be overwhelming for some players but for other players especially those who can't see it's an absolute lifeline being able to know oh there's a rock out there so um eventually we managed to decide on a toggle where by default everyone gets the enhanced everyone gets sea rock sounds they get that enhanced update where the world is now more immersive mm -hmm. but then we've also got a toggle if you really need to be able to hear those, it'll duck the ship sounds. It'll make the rocks louder. Mm. So you can now navigate more directly by them as opposed to it simply being a nice sound around. Right. And yeah. Um, so much thought goes into each of those things. Yeah. I, I love that. And, and Sightless was talking to me how like just from the, the sound, sound <laughs> design, he's just, he's able to say, Oh, um, over on port. Oh, we got this over on starboard, and they're just like, "How, how do you know?" He's just like, "It's the sound design. It's, it's the cues. Trust me. I, yeah, there's things there." I, I remember. <laughs> I remember watching a stream of Sightless playing once, um, and he tells his crew, "Oh, by the way, there's a shipwreck over there," and everyone goes, "Wait, how did you know?" And he goes, well, "Can't you hear the seagulls?" Uh -huh. <laughs> it's like, "How? It's amazing." Yeah, it's just amazing, and mm. honestly, you know, I, I I always have to shout out the you know the audio team because sometimes I feel like they're the unsung heroes. They just, they don't get yeah. the respect they deserve. No, they, they, they do a phenomenal job. Yeah. So I'm interested when it comes to the accessibility, accessibility features and sea of thieves. So let's say, you know, like with the, the rock, you know, the sea rock noise, when it comes yeah. to, you know, identifying that, like, what is the process for saying, okay, we want to add this feature. Like, how how do you identify that? And then, how do you, as a team, start working? I'm just I'm very interested in terms of the company internally. How how do you do that? Sure. So, I think a lot of it comes down to like passionate individuals mm -hmm. who have the ability to affect change in a certain place. So, for example, the Sea Rocks came out of one of our user um, consulting sessions, and we should definitely come back to that because that's a very important point. Absolutely. And someone in there just 
said, oh, it'd be great if the sea rocks made noises so I knew where they were. And one of our um, our audio, half he's half an engineer, a designer, I'm not quite sure what his title is, but he was like, you know, I can, I can do that. Um, so the idea had come from a player who had this need, who just made the suggestion. And then this, this, um, audio engineer was able to go off and immediately just whip up something to test it out and go, yeah, no, we, this, this is something we can do. And then we have, um, an accessibility team isn't quite the right word, but we've got like channels internally for people to talk about accessibility and features that they're working on accessibility wise. And then he was able to drop that prototype into there with a video and ask for feedback from like the general designers. And then also say from myself or the other people who know that bit more about accessibility. And then we're able to sort of round it and have those discussions of, Hey, do we want to toggle? How do we want to do this? Um, so a lot of it comes from individuals with passion and the expertise to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. We have also got a, a backlog. Like there's a lot of feedback that comes in, say, from Twitter or from the Sea of Thieves forums. And we look at all of that and we just try to see, hey, what is it that people are talking about most? And that we can actually solve, right? Because um, sometimes there may be an accessibility feature that would be absolutely brilliant, right. but it's just not technically feasible or we just don't have the resources for it. But mm-hmm. often, again, say with the C-Rocks or say with the tooltip narration stuff, we can right. go, I know how we would do this. Let's get a prototype. Let's figure out the hardest part and then polish it up. Yeah, and, and definitely, you know, you, you wanted to, you know, put a bookmark in the accessibility teams that you guys, you mm. know, the outreach should do. And that's something that I, I have to bring up too, because, you know, there's a, there's a lot of companies that, you know, they say, hey, if you have, you know, concerns about accessibility, you know, send us your emails. We want to hear from you. But then sometimes it kind of feels a little bit like lip service. You're like, oh, okay. Sure. We, we send it to you, but then we don't ever hear anything. You never really do anything. So it kind of feels like we're, calling out the empty, you know, to like into a void. It's never going to send anything back, but you guys at rare really dedicate yourself to taking, and you, and you've already mentioned taking that input from the community, from the gamers. And if it's something that you can create, then you do, you do it. And I just love your commitment to sitting down with the community uh, and the consumers and really hearing our voices, taking the time to talk to us, you know, have us even test out some stuff when it's available and actually give you the feedback. And then you do, you, you take it, you create it, and then you put it out to the public. And I just, I love that commitment to the, uh, the disabled gaming community. Yeah. So like, I mean, it's important to remember that you're making a game for players, right. And you want to, (laughs) if they're asking for something, that's prop, that's usually a direction you want to go in. Um, yeah. And like, I know on the point of lip service, I think I think there may cynically there may be some companies that are like that, but realistically, I like on on the game dev side, I I do see the difficulties of mm-hmm. brilliant people who would love to be doing certain things, like especially around accessibility, right. but they're working within a difficult system right. that has other deadlines or red tape that's hard for them to overcome. Mm-hmm. Um, so. 
yeah it's no that's a good point to bring yeah. up because we as gamers especially um us disabled and chronically ill gamers you know it's taken so long for the industry mm. to get to where it is now where you know accessibility really is coming becoming a standard in a lot of games so I feel sometimes, you know, even myself, I'm guilty of it. We kind of get a little too overzealous, maybe even greedy. Um, we're just like, bring us this, give us that. But yeah. <laughs> we have to remember, like you just said, it really is. It's it, a lot of the times it's the developers being like, I wish we could, but we just, we can't because of yeah. X, Y, Z. And it's not that they don't care. It's just, you know, there's just, you know, barriers within the, within the, you know, the company itself in the development process. Yeah. And like an example of that is so uh, we added tooltip narration. Is that last year, maybe? Um, let me know if you can hear the van outside. <laughs> no, um, you're good. We added tooltip narration last year, I think it was, uh, where essentially you got if you're on a ship and you go near the ship's wheel, it'll say out loud, press X to use the ship's wheel. And that's a great feature. And it's something I personally have been very passionate about. It's something that I had wanted to do. But from the first time I've thought about how we should do this, how would we do that to actually shipping it took about two plus years mm -hmm. because it needs to go through so many areas. It's got to be done right. And then I personally have other responsibilities that I need to be working on. You've got to juggle it. You've got to get all your timings just right. Um, so yeah, it's, it, I understand it can feel like throwing feedback into a void and then nothing appears for a long time. But again, that's the joy of working on a live service game. <laughs> it gives me the opportunity to ship a feature like that eventually rather than never because right. it was release the game and go. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, it's something that, you know, as I've matured as a gamer, I, I try mm. and check myself more because you know, <laughs> I have to remember, you know, just like the creation of a game takes several years or X amount of years, so too do the accessibility features at times. And mm. we just have to remember to be a little bit more patient. And I know it's hard, especially now when it when it's you know, honestly, it's a great time to be excited about accessibility. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just look at all the games that have come out and ha or just came out or are, are about to come out, you know, as, as we're talking right now. I mean, we're not even to the holiday season this year, and we still got several games that are coming out that are very anticipated because of the accessibility in the games. So sometimes, you know, we, we just, you know, that excitement overtakes us and we uh, we take it out on the wrong people or we uh, we don't use our voice the right way yeah yeah i think on on timelines as like i agree right now it's a great time for gamers who are excited about um accessibility in games but culture can culture and the tech can move quite slowly so like um the last of us 2 obviously a lot of people hold that up as like the golden standard in terms of so many accessibility features mm -hmm. and a lot of their visual accessibility features uh were born out of tech that came from uncharted 4 right and exactly. I've, just, I've just looked up the release dates uncharted 4 came out in may 2016 the last of us part 2 came out in june 2020 mm -hmm. so they had these features and then it took four years to then make a game that was really the golden standard. But then think everyone who's learned from that, who's looked at that and gone, oh, wait, I should be making my game accessible, especially the bigger studios. 
you may not actually see the fruits of that labor bear for another few years yet still because they're still early in that journey and you've got to build up the culture you've got to build up the tech you've got to understand what it is you're actually building no i i love that you bring up uncharted 4 because um we do overlook the work that they they did put in that mm. game prior to last of us part two the you know, it's, it, obviously it wasn't at the same level, but it, it started, like you said, it started yep. four years ago, even before Last of Us Part Two. So obviously, you know, we, we, we got to give it the respect it deserves because, you know, it, it started there and then it led up to what now people are, you know, really considering like the gold standard, the game that kicked yep. the door open to accessibility for gaming. And I'm just looking forward to the day when people uh, look at The Last of Us Part 2 and go, oh, that's so inaccessible compared to what we have now. <laughs> I, I know. It, you know, it, it's crazy to think um, where we're going, you know, in terms mm. of just, I mean, just audio description, screen readers, you know, remapping, simplified controllers, you know, full control of the audio subtitles yep. that are actual subtitles and captioning that's actual captioning <laughs> um it's a really exciting time and yeah gamers these days like back in 2010 if you if you uh gave gamers the choice of hey you can invert the the y-axis they'd be like yes finally um just <laughs> picking for any scrap of accessibility right like oh, a difficulty setting amazing but um these days Gamers don't just sort of hope for accessibility settings. They're demanding them. They expect that this game should be playable by more people. I think that's great. Um, depending on use of the term demanding. <laughs> but it is like, if a game is not accessible these days, it won't have the same reach. And people like even the mainstream uh, gaming journalism, they're picking up on this and they're calling this out more. And I love that. Yeah, so for you, you know, someone who, who started out, you know, you, you don't really have a lived experience with disability, mm. don't, you know, never really had anyone in your life that they themselves were living with a disability or chronic illness. You know, you, you kind of found your way into this, ro into this role. And now, uh, you know, so many, you know, I mean, Ian Hamilton, Tara Volker, mm. they, you know, they give you a lot of respect for what you do with accessibility. Um you know, you're kind of seeing the evolution yourself. So I'm kind of curious on your thoughts um, as someone who, you know, found their way into this role, into this community, you know, um, what, what are your thoughts on the state of accessibility as of right now? And I guess, what would you say has been good for you to see kind of like with the evolution? Because obviously, you know, Sea of Thieves is continuously putting out new accessibility features so i'm interested in terms of the work you do with gamers um, and those who support the game how kind of their expectations or even their advice has evolved over the time as the thieves has continued to update its accessibility features yeah so like as i was saying just before like it is an exciting time for gamers looking for accessibility settings in game or not even settings just like an accessible game, right? Mm. And I'm just trying to... I think you asked about three questions there, I and know, I've remembered sorry, half I of so one. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's maybe talk a little bit about um the evolution of accessibility. There we go. That's like, a good place. Let's start with that first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, know, I gave you so I gave you like fifty <laughs> questions in one. 
but yeah like the sort of feedback that we get it's interesting because it has evolved and it hasn't evolved at the same time if that makes sense mm -hmm. like you're always going to get this you're always going to get feedback of say you've put this particle effect into the game that's going to trigger my uh epilepsy right. sort it out like mm -hmm. that's that sort of thing is just um baseline accessibility always going to be something you have to consider mm -hmm. but then once you've handled all of those cases you get the more complex requests so i guess i, I guess a good example is you mentioned captions mm -hmm. uh so the baseline if you're not doing this you're not doing enough is right. having subtitles in your game right like mm -hmm you hear someone speaking and subtitles are put on the screen. Mm -hmm. But then as people come to expect that as a standard in games, you then get the more, the elevated requests there of, I would like to know who is saying the subtitle. I right. want accurate captions. I want, um, I want arrows pointing in the direction of where that caption like where the sound of a tin being kicked came from right. i want to be able to change the size of the font or the colors or make it so that um one character their text is red and another character is yellow and yeah it's and as time goes on that's going to become the standard as well right like mm -hmm. if i buy a game i'm just going to expect that my closed captions are directional and let me know where the sound comes from. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, as I say, we've come really far from 2010 when you could hope for, do I have some basic difficulty settings? Can I invert the vertical um, right. or even just subtitles on or off if you are lucky? Right. But yeah. Just off the top of my head, I know there's other games that have done it, but like um, the recent Far Cry 6, uh, I know they okay. have the, they have the whole like in the subtitles it has the if there's an explosion it tells you like explosion but then it also has like the, like that whole arrow and like how far in terms of like sure the, like how far you would have to, and then if you get closer to it you know the number goes down because you obviously you're getting closer to it so you know like you said that's becoming a lot more common nowadays. Mm. I know Fortnite also has a fantastic. Um audio visualization ring which sort of is a ring or three rings that goes over your screen and points in different directions for this is just like the sound of someone running this is the sound of gunfire this is the sound of ambient like say trees i think mm -hmm. um yeah and it's a nice way of splitting up the different things you're hearing in a visual way it's a very it's a very nice solution yeah, and then, and then another thing that I definitely uh, don't want to forget to talk about is haptics. You know, the, the haptic sure. feedback. You know, mm. I remember <laughs> long before I started losing my vision, um, rumble feature. I always oh, yeah. was that kid. It's just like, why the heck do they make this controller <laughs> shake? This is the most <laughs> god-awful, annoying thing. Why do they ever think this would be a good idea to put into a yeah, controller? Yeah. And then you start losing your vision and you go back and play mm. some of those old school games. Like, like for instance, like Paper Mario, you go back and then sure. like the first time you get into like the, the prologue boss, the Goomba King, controller's rumbling like crazy because he's coming on the screen and you're like, oh, oh, this means I'm about to fight the boss. Yeah. It, it yeah. doesn't click back when you're a kid before you start losing your ability to see and identify by, you know, sight because obviously video games are a visual art. Mm. But haptic feedback, 
again, I think that's something that a lot of people take for granted. And, you know, probably there's a lot of gamers that think like old school means like, why does this, this stupid controller keep shaking? I wish I could just turn <laughs> this off. But then yeah, you yeah. have like, you know, games where, you know, invisible things, your your controller will vibrate to let you know that you're by something you should interact with, but you, you know, you don't know that you should interact with. So that that reminds me of a, of a, of a great um anecdote in sea of thieves just an aside um this one is actually sightless combat but i'm not going to say that because i i don't want to continually talk about a single person <laughs> of course so of just course. so you're aware of that um so yeah that that reminds me of a, of a great example in sea of thieves where we had a player who they're sailing the ship uh they have no sight and the way they could tell so they would sit at the ship's wheel and they could tell how far they'd turned the ship's wheel because it vibrated, because uh, the controller would vibrate every, say, quarter turn. Mm-hmm. And he was like, this is great, but it means I can't play with mouse and keyboard because it doesn't vibrate there. Right. So we then had to go back and go, right, okay, so what we can do is we can add sounds and we can make it so that um, the more you turn to the left, the more the sound pans to the left in your headphones. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the further away the wheel has been spun, I think like the pitch also slightly changes. So yeah, it's it that's the the opposite of what you were just mentioning, where normally haptics adds a thing, but then sometimes mouse and keyboard you can't get haptics. How do you continue making sure that you're providing uh multiple modalities for this information? Oh, that's a good point because you know I, I do a lot the majority of my gaming on uh, consoles so you know mm. I don't I, I didn't think about that you know obviously because I just I don't ever you know come across it but that mm. that's really interesting it's like yeah that's a solution that you have to come up it's like okay if they're playing it on console they've got haptics but if they're doing this on a PC or they have a, a mouse and a keyboard how do we translate what we would use through haptics you know by maybe just sound and pitch so Exactly. It's really cool to hear you talk about. But of course, uh, the advantage that PC gamers have is they have a million keys on their keyboard for all the <laughs> shortcuts. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. know the PC. Uh, I I'm just starting to get into it myself because obviously, a game that I was really really excited for just came out. Stories of Blossom. Um, sure. Um. So you know, I finally uh I finally got Steam on my laptop, and uh, I think it's open <laughs> Pandora's Gate because now there's other games like Brock the Investigator. Yeah, um, yeah. Firebird. Um, there's a lot of great games coming out with accessibility features. And so I think I might have just shot myself in the foot. <laughs> Goodbye, bank balance. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But uh, you know, those are some of the games I bring up that um that I've been exci- you know, I've been excited yeah. to see. Especially Brock, you know, Brock. I've it, heard it got, so many wonderful things about that. To the uh, the Switch. It's available on the Switch, mm. so technically it is the first accessible game on the Nintendo Switch, which is exciting. amazing. Congratulations! Yeah, yeah, because uh, the Nintendo Switch definitely needs more accessibility. <laughs> yeah, it's um, yeah, I, I won't say too much there, but yeah, that's that's exciting to know that there are highly accessible titles coming to the Switch, and hopefully many more to come. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's an exciting time, and uh, you know, for yourself, you know, who now you're you're in this role, you do a lot of accessibility, um. Mm. It must be, you know, I don't want to say weird, but has it been, you know, interesting? I don't know how to phrase this, but obviously you, I guess you never really intended to get into the accessibility side of gaming. So for you, like, what has 
been the transition for you? Because I, I know a lot of people really look up to you and, you know, hold your word in high regard, but obviously it's very kind. <laughs> yeah. But you never really kind of set out to be that person. So I'm interested for you. Like, how have you found your role? Cause you know, now a lot of times people are asking you about your opinion on accessibility. Like what has that been like for you to kind of end up in this place <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting that actually like my main role at rare isn't accessibility it's not even gameplay engineering anymore i currently work in our live services team mm -hmm. uh supporting all of our cloud features and like where's your inventory stored and all those things so it's mm -hmm. it's interesting having my feet in in two worlds one being sort of the the hard software engineering the other being much more like with accessibility it's as well as engineering there it's also the um it's the building the culture it's the talking to the designers and just raising ideas but also not 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 trying to um twist anyone's arms into accessibility right i think something i'm always acutely aware of is as i say i like the most lived experience i have in this is that I wear glasses. And if I don't have my glasses on, I can't see great. But um, and, and like, I remember that, like when I'm talking about accessibility, whether it's a feature or like a design we want to make, yes, there are things that I know and I may have more knowledge than other people that I'm talking to, but also like my knowledge is what I've learned from other people who have the lived experience, who've done the research, who've been doing this. So for example, pulling in data from GA conf, learning from those talks or um, using the Xbox accessibility guidelines, or by far the most important thing is talking to your players mm -hmm. and, you know, hiring disability consultants, um, paying them for their time to really understand what is their experience? What would they like to see? What do they not like to see? And then building off of that. So yeah, I think that's the most important thing is it's listening to the people who are asking for this, who need this, and really taking that on board. Yeah, so we've talked about uh, a little bit about the culture of the gamers, but you, you, you said something interesting is also the culture of the industry itself and how more open-minded you know, companies, studios um, have become to, you know, being open to having those discussions with the disabled gamers. Um, and mm. obviously Xbox has a phenomenal accessibility program. Oh, that yeah. Disabled gamers themselves can, you know, enroll in and then have actual opportunities to sit down with, you know, studios, test products out, do surveys, to, you know, for companies that are maybe thinking of, Hey, if we added this feature, what would you think? Or how how is how would this work if you, you know, try to give it to other gamers? And so it's just like it seems like, you know, just from an industry standpoint, the industry standpoint, as I, I said, um, has opened up as well. And they're very more uh, you know, open to sitting down and consulting with gamers. Not only like so that is it's usually the larger companies like, you know, your Xbox, your Sony, your Ubisoft, who are able to put in the the money and the time and the effort to really do those those user sessions and learn that information. But what excites me even more from that is then when that information gets shared back out, yes. uh, whether that's through 
individual talks at GA Conf, or it's um, or it is like the Xbox accessibility guidelines, because that means that the smaller studios they're able to draw on all that knowledge, right? right. It's 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 this wonderful example where I think a lot of the industry is aligned on the idea that accessibility is not a competitive advantage. Mm. It is something that we all want to help everyone do better at. Um, like we don't want to, if we learn something about accessibility, we shouldn't hide that from another studio and hold right. them back because that's just holding back gamers as a whole. Right. Um, so, yeah. No, I mean, it, it is an interesting point because obviously, um, you know, to you know, to not think that if you add accessibility features and it'll make your game more accessible to more gamers, which means that you're going to sell more copies, making more money. It, that that's just a given. It, you know, yeah. <laughs> you, you don't you don't want to think about that, but you know, there is a monetary incentive to sometimes add accessibility features. But you bring up the best point is in terms of you don't kind of like gatekeep with those accessibility features because obviously. And I, I know I bring them up a lot, but uh, Soft Leaf Studios, I know that they were invited by Xbox Accessibility and they had their game reviewed by the, you know, mm. by by them and they shared their resources and their knowledge. And, you know, obviously they put out their game. It has great accessibility features in it. But, you know, that's 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 the good thing that we're seeing is like there's a company like Xbox that's sharing resources to an indie studio like Soft Leaf Studios so that their accessible game is accessible and that's great to see that there's not kind of like that gatekeeps like oh no the big companies are just going to kind of monopolize all these accessibility features and we're not going to no no it's the opposite it's like uh, if, if you want it we'll give it to you so that you you have access to it and that's just awesome to see yeah definitely i i'm wondering are, uh you know obviously you're working on sea of thieves but uh do you still do you still find time to play some games yourself Oh yeah, yeah, far too much time to play games myself. I've I've been playing less games than I would like to recently, but I have been getting back into Guild Wars 2. And that game's been running for over 10 years and I just cannot get enough of it. I absolutely love it. So I I'm wondering um are are there any games that have come out recently that um you've been excited about? Um, are there any games that have yet to come out that you're excited about? And then I'm also uh, so I'll ask those two questions first, and then I'll ask you uh, another one. But are, um, any games that you've been you've played recently that you loved, or any games that have yet to come out that you're really looking forward to playing? Let me rack my brains because, as I say, this year I've not played as many games as I'd like to. But last year, like I think the standout game for me was Elden Ring. Um, <laughs> I, I think that's a pretty expected oh another person talking about elton ring but no i absolutely loved it it was absolutely phenomenal in so many ways just a real sense of adventure mm -hmm. uh to me and it was it was wonderful that i bought it on the day it came out mm -hmm. and i beat the final boss exactly one year later and was like <laughs> that's I'm, I'm done that was perfect i don't need any more Oh my goodness! It's it's crazy yeah. to think how big FromSoft games uh have gotten because you know <sighs> yeah think back yeah. to like Demon Souls and Dark Souls you know the overall yeah. length of those games isn't very long I mean like you can no. you can beat those games in like less than ten hours um if I remember correctly but then you have something like Elden Ring where it's just like oh my god like you said it takes a year just to get the final boss yeah, there's yeah. so much in them 
but it's it's just crazy to see now my the question that i wanted to you know wait until you know i don't want to keep on bombarding your questions without giving you please do is what i'm here for <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> i'm curious you know obviously do you ever find yourself playing a game and then obviously with your experience with what you do at CFTs, especially with you know, more so concerning accessibility, do you ever find yourself going, oh, man, they could have done this and that and with this or that with their sound cue or hat. All the time. <laughs> okay, okay. It's, it's a curse. It's why you don't want to become a game developer because you notice, all the, you've realized that, oh, they've put in a loading, like someone's crawling between two rocks here. So that must be a loading screen moment or um, just little things like that. Or, hey, I heard the sound glitch or I can notice something's going wrong with the visuals there. You've really noticed it. But Definitely in terms of um accessibility, yeah. Like um a game I play uh recently added a fishing mechanic. Mm-hmm. And it's I don't want to say that it's inaccessible, but it's not accessible where it could and should be. So for example, it's the fishing mini game is very standard in terms of a lot of other games where um it's like there's a bar and then there's a smaller bar moving back and forth and you've got to move your bar over it to capture the fish. But it's purely visual, um, the feedback that you're seeing on if you're actually capturing the fish or not. And the colors are a dark blue background mm. with... Oh, which way around is it? It's like it's blue, green, and red. And it's basically the worst colorblind combination they could oh, have picked. Absolutely. For it. <laughs> and then um, like when you're fishing in different areas, there's a fishing difficulty rating. So like your your skill might be 100, but if you've done certain things, it might go up to 200. Mm-hmm. But you might be in a 400 area. And to be able to see that, you've got to hover the mouse over a very tiny little area, which is only appearing whilst you're pressing left and right on the keyboard to match the bars up and you're like ah so it's and that's all information that could be presented in so many other ways um and like have audio cues left and right for are you close to the fish do you press left do you press right and yeah it's i i notice those things a lot these days but i i also notice like the good things like i notice um just little things like in zelda tears of the kingdom just tiny quality of life improvements. Like when you're running around as Link and there's a small ledge, instead of you stopping at it and you having to press jump to jump over it, it'll just hop up. Mm-hmm. Just little things like that, which makes the whole experience that bit smoother. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah uh, and then, yeah, because, you know, that brings up like on the opposite end. Are you ever playing a game and then you're like, oh, wow, what they did here is, you know, genius it might now inspire you like, is there something that we can do in, in Sea of Thieves that maybe is a, you know, kind of, you know, a homage or inspired by this? So on that one, I want to say yes, but I think like I've seen so many things at GA Conf where people have given active talks about that stuff mm-hmm. that that's probably more where I've got that from right. than from playing the games recently. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, it's definitely, you see another game you see that they're doing X, Y, Z, and you're like, why aren't we doing that? We can do that so much better. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> little braggy there. But yeah, like you see it and you go, we, sh- we should be doing this. That's a really good experience. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
obviously we got to shout out um you know the game accessibility conference or GIA, oh yeah as yeah. you mentioned um we obviously you've brought it up several times so i wanted to talk to talk to it about directly because obviously yeah you know, yeah it's an amazing conference um uh you've presented at it before have you not yeah i was i was very lucky i had the honor to present at the april one this year mm-hmm. um that was again just just a fantastic opportunity to really share hey these are all the things that we've been doing um here's the ways we were inspired here's the things that we would like to do going forwards and as i say like sharing that information and also some of the specific technical stuff there as well it means that other studios can look at it and go hey not only do we like that and we want to do it but we can see how they did it and that saves us some time like on the implementation side but yeah um jaycon very close to my heart um terror and ian just absolutely wonderful hosts mm-hmm. although oh dear um my talk this is so embarrassing it's a talk about blind accessibility in sea of thieves right so i've done ev- i tried to do everything right i tried to make sure that it was colorblind friendly that i described all of the videos that there wasn't any text that i didn't also say out loud and then i sent it to tara and she realized that in between there are three main segments and in between each segment i just have a slide that just says this is what we're talking about now like um <laughs> yeah yeah i think you can see where this is going <laughs> so it'd be like controls and i just hadn't narrated it so tara had to take the video and put her own narration onto my video <laughs> and uh upload that so yeah that was deeply deeply embarrassing very humbling uh, nothing escapes tara <laughs> nothing she, nothing does is so passionate and it's it's, it's so awesome to absolute have. force of nature absolutely she is yeah. so just such an amazing ally an advocate mm. um and you know xbox is so lucky to have her in charge yeah, of yeah. accessibility i mean she she's amazing and obviously shout out to ian hamilton a true and, and, I, and i don't say this to make him sound old but a true <laughs> forefather of you know accessibility and yeah. gaming he's been there for pretty much the beginning you know a yeah. true you know advocate man after my own heart with all of his puns as well so. <laughs> yeah he's amazing um so I'm just, you know, curious for you, you know, obviously you can't really talk a lot about the future of Sea of Thieves, but I know... Sea of Thieves. <laughs> I know that there's stuff, um, um, you know, still coming. So, you know, that's yep. exciting. Um, I guess it's just like, do you ever see an end in sight when it comes to accessibility in that game? Because it just seems like you guys <laughs> keep chugging along and coming up with new and exciting things. Uh, you'll have to pry new accessibility features out of my cold dead hands um, <laughs> for Sea of Thieves. I'm not, I'm not asking you to talk about it. I'm just saying just like <laughs> it doesn't seem like there's going to ever be an end in sight to them. I mean, I mean, w- what we were saying earlier is like um, you can keep building and then more complex requirements will come through. There's always a way you can make a game more accessible. But I think... Like on that point, there's there's more things I would love to be doing and that I'm currently doing with Sea of Thieves. But then there's other things where you have to agree and understand that we can't go any further in this particular direction due to resourcing or just simply that's not what the game can be. So like an example being 
a couple of years ago, we added rats on ships into the game. And an in, someone internally, one of our fantastic testers, brought up the fact that actually there are fair few people with a severe fear of rats. And this was these rats aren't a, a core gameplay requirement. So is there something we can do about, you know, turning them off, off and on? And we got that in and made it so that now the rats are optional. And that's great. Handle that. Fear of the sea. You know, if you have nightmares about being on a boat in the middle of a storm out in the ocean with nowhere to go, we can't really do anything about that because that is fundamentally what the game Sea of Thieves is, right? So um, I think it helps when you think about where is the future, how can we keep building accessibility, knowing where you feel you've legitimately done enough can then help you focus your efforts on the places you know you can continue to grow and do better. Yeah, I don't I don't think there's a lot you can do when it comes to a, a fear of the sea in a game. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 one thing you can't overcome. <laughs> that's about the yeah, it's about the thing we can't change. It's like, well, the only thing that we could do is replace the water with sand but then it's make it sand. jelly yeah yeah <laughs> then it's jelly of thieves <laughs> uh well um i guess you know the, you know just you know ask you a couple more things before we wrap up here is i'm, yeah, I'm yeah. just you know excited to talk to you about in terms of where, where do you see the industry going as of now in terms of accessibility like what do you feel are going to become more of the standards? You know, we talked about a couple of, you know, accessibility features that, you know, are included in other games, obviously in your game. But um, where, where do you see it as we spin the wheel forward? You know, no pun intended. So um, I think, I think a huge opportunity in accessibility in video games comes from the game engine developers themselves, because if I'm a small indie studio and I don't know all that much about accessibility or I don't have many resources, then building in things like subtitles or audio description, that may be too big for me to handle by myself. Whereas if I'm using like one of the larger game engines and they can provide basic subtitle support for me or audio narration or um, not audio narration, uh, like UI narration, if they can provide those sort of tools out of the box for free, that has a huge impact across, you know, hundreds of indie developers immediately. So that's where I think there's a real opportunity to be had going forwards. I also think, as I was saying, like the large studios, the big ones, the fact that they're continuing this research, they're sharing it out, they're making a big song and dance about how accessible their games are. It means that the sort of mid, the mid-sized studios, they're going to be held to similar standards now, right? So they're going to have to up their game. They're going to need to do all this work. We've used the word standards a few times, and that's something I find very interesting in terms of video game accessibility. Like, if you're uh, broadcasting for television... There are known legal standards you have to work to, and there are technical standards uh, for producing your subtitles and things like that. And that is the same across all systems. Whereas video games, there's no standard. Mm -hmm. 
And it's a big open question. Should there be a standard? Should there be a legal standard? Um, because when you bring that in, on the one hand, it may be really helpful for many players. But on the other hand, if you get that standard incorrect, like video games are so diverse in what a video game even is or can be, would you be hamstringing the company who has to do something in a certain way that doesn't fit their experience? Right. So I think I think standards are things we'll probably see more of over the next few years, maybe like companies working together to figure out a standard. Not that I know of anything like that happening right now, but I think there's, again, there's there's opportunities there for what does a player expect or what can a player go into a game knowing to expect from that if they see like this is subtitle standard or something like that and again that's that's just a personal opinion from me no no i i think yeah that's great food for thought because you know are standards a good thing or a bad thing when it comes to video games you know maybe mm. looser standards because like you said um maybe it won't you know if maybe it's not something obtainable or uh, you know even you know feasible for one company versus another and you know it is you know when it comes to disability not one size fits all so exactly that's where i'm like there definitely can be certain things where it's like yeah you should probably do this this and that but in terms of like how it should be implemented that should be up to a studio um mm. themselves and then also obviously if it's you know being talked to by the consumers you know making sure that they like what is being you know implemented in the game so it's kind of one of those things where it, it i feel like it's more of a collaboration than it is just like an yeah. overall just here here's a guideline you have to follow this guideline but like again is it good to be like to the to the letter um or maybe be a little bit loose with what we have and implement into games and again, going back to the Xbox accessibility guidelines, I think actually that's a great example of if you're not sure where to go, they it's not a standard, but it is guidelines of, oh, let's go look at what they recommend I should do as a minimum bar right. for subtitles, for UI description, for control remapping and whatnot. Right. Like like giving the companies, uh, you know, the teams, okay, here's what has been done and what you can do, but you don't have mm. to do it exactly to the letter but yeah here's yeah. what's been done use it as you like and um, whatever you come up with cool but uh, you know you you have our notes <laughs> basically and, and that's that's also why i love the the tags on the stores like the xbox store now has accessibility tags mm -hmm. and as i understand it to get those tags it's quite a I'm not sure if rigorous is quite, quite the right word but there's a process that's very detailed to make sure that if you have that tag it has been properly vetted so a gamer knows that if they see the subtitles tag, for example, it's not going to be poor quality subtitles. It's going to be a subtitle that Xbox is comfortable representing uh, right. with. So yeah, um, on standards, like I know that the Xbox store has tags, uh, accessibility tags, and those are like, I think those are fantastic uh, example. I know that those tags go through quite a, a, a strong vetting process. Like the Xbox store is only going to show, say the subtitles tag against your game. If the Xbox team are really happy that you have quality subtitles. 
And I think that's really helpful for gamers because now they know if they filter by accessibility settings um, on the store, they know sort of what level to expect. They know that if it says subtitles, the subtitles will be of a good quality. Yeah, so it's great that there's there's more, you know, accessible, you know, guidelines, you know, materials, um, yeah. instructions, just information overall. Um, so, you know, again, some studios, maybe they're too small to do it, but, you know, you know, it is possible, you know, plenty of teams with just one or two people have made accessible games. And I think the more and more that resources are available to them, and they have more, you know, collaboration between the bigger studios that have done these AAA titles. The more and more we see, even indie studios, and it basically becomes to where, well, if you want to make your game accessible, it's definitely possible. You just have to exactly. want to do it. Yeah, yeah. So, in terms of, and I promise this will be the last question, because <laughs> uh, ter- you know, in terms of people that are playing Sea of Thieves. Um, yep. You want to get in touch with you guys and give your you sure. know, give the feedback. You know, how is that possible for them? Because obviously, I've mentioned it before that you you at Rare are really great with communicating with gamers and getting their feedback. But for those that maybe have just started playing and uh, are just wondering, like, how can I contact them and you know maybe share a little bit of my experience? How can they do that? So uh, the best way for them to do that would be to go to seaofthieves.com forward slash accessibility. And then down near the bottom, uh, there's an option to go to the support team uh, if they need to raise a specific accessibility request. Um, I think at that point, it might like show some suggestions of, hey, do you just need help with this first? Uh, But there's some buttons you can click through and uh, you can get to a support request. Accessibility is in the drop down as a selection, and that'll come through to us. Um, other than that, posting on the forums is also a good way to uh, share that feedback. But if those don't work, like we are at, we are on Twitter, but uh, it's not always. We can't always guarantee that it'll uh, go into the correct log if it goes through uh, through Twitter. So definitely cfthews.com slash accessibility is the best way to do that. Awesome. Well, Telfer, thank you so much for coming on today. It's been thank awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Uh, Very if anybody wants, Yeah, yeah. But if anybody wants to follow you and keep up with you, uh, what's the best way for them to support you? So that would be go to assuming it still exists by the time this podcast goes out, (laughs) twitter.com forward slash winwardo. So that's W-I-N-W-A-R-D-O as in Oscar. Um, If not, links to my various social channels are available on tofa.io, which is my website. Um, Yeah, those are the two main places if people would like to reach or support me, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you again for sitting down with me. It's It's been awesome to talk to you. Again, I'm a big fan of Rare, and I'm a big fan of what you guys are doing with Sea of Thieves, and I'm excited to see what is next from the company, because I know there's a lot still coming. So I'm excited to see what's next for Rare. Wonderful. Thank you very much, and have a wonderful day, Chad. You too. Thank, thank you, you so much. All right. Yes. Well, everybody... That's going to be it for today's episode. Thank you again to my amazing guest, Topher Winford. Winford. Winward. Winford. Winford. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
But uh, yes, thank you to Topher Winward of Rare oh, yeah. Limited, obviously an amazing software engineer who is still working on Sea of Thieves. And we're really excited to see what comes next from Rare because obviously uh, I love me some Rare games and I hope you love some Rare games too. Uh, but anyways, guys, if you know anybody that would like to listen to the podcast, please do recommend it to them. We are available on Amazon Music, Audible, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. It's The Unsighted Radio just make sure that when you look for Unsighted Radio, you spell Unsighted, U-N-S-Y as in Yankee, T-E-D, The Unsighted Radio. Would love if you become a member of the Unsighted Army. And if you want to follow along on social media, interact with me on social media, we are on Twitter at Unsighted Radio. It's at Unsighted Radio, all one word, at Unsighted Radio. And I am on Facebook, The Unsighted Radio. Again, when you search for the show, it is spelt U-N-S-Y as in Yankee, T-E-D, The Unsighted Radio. And if you want to give me an email or have me pass along any questions you may have to my guest or just talk to me myself, send me an email at C-M Bouton. That's C as in Chad, M as in Michael, B as in boy, O-U-T as in Tom, O-N as in November at yahoo.com. C-M Bouton at yahoo.com. All righty. Well, thank you again to my amazing guest, the great and powerful Topher Winward. Got it right that time. And thank you guys for listening to another episode. Until we see each other again, take care, be kind, and love you guys.